on today's message from Harvest Church of God. Jesus would be the way of salvation and that whosoever believeth on him and receives him, that that person would be saved, saved from the awful tyranny of sin, saved from the awfulness of hell, saved from all those bondaging things. His blood washes away every sin. Yes, but then you've got to be a vessel that can contain the blessing of God. There's something that I, I know, that I know, that I know in my knower that keeps me planted upon the solid rock Christ Jesus and it anchors me and secures me that no matter what storm may blow or what difficulty may come against me, I'll make it because I have hope. I have hope and that's my anchor. God, we pause in your presence now to ask for something of which we're not worthy. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come in amongst us and that as words, audible words are spoken, I pray that silent words will be spoken to people's hearts. And I pray that in this room there will be people whose lives are changed with an encounter that the Christ of the Gospels would become alive in our hearts and do something that no other power can do for us transform us. Touch us now, O God. Do with us what you will. We are the clay. You are the potter. Make what you will of this service and this effort at ministry. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We've been talking since first of the year about transformation, about how God changes things in people's lives and how God changes us. In fact, we're in just a big construction site, you might say, because we're his workmanship. And he who began this work in us will not take his hands off of us and retire from it until he has completed his intention and his purpose which was began in us. Not He won't walk away. He won't leave you or forsake you. He'll stay with you. He's committed to getting you to the finish line of this race. Amen. He will do everything short of taking away your will in order to get you to the finish line successfully. We're going to look, talk about that today in 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week we talked about the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the peculiar people of God, and I called us resident aliens. Peter called the church pilgrims and strangers. A stranger is one who journeys in a strange land. And the worst thing that can happen to you is what happened to the children of Israel when they were carried in exile. The people who held them captive began asking, sing one of your songs. We know you're very famous for singing songs of Zion. Sing us a song of Zion. And they said, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We have hung our harps upon the willow trees. We don't sing anymore. We don't play anymore because of the consequences and the experiences that are going on around us. You see, culture can impact your belief system. Culture can silence your rejoicing. And 
for the most part in America right now, the church is kind of hidden or obscured and doesn't have a whole lot of influence on what's going on now. But that's not the intention of God. God said you're salt of the earth. You're the light that I've sent out to penetrate the darkness. Uh, and if we're not being salt and light, then uh, whatever God wants us to keep from corrupting is uh, having its way. So what we need to do as people who know the Lord, represent the Lord, are ambassadors for Christ, then we ought to be a good advertisement and we ought to rejoice even in bad times. That rejoicing ought to be a part of our lives and should never be placed on the back burner because what some may say something else is more important. Rejoicing is the more important thing because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. We won't do much for God without strength to do that. And that comes through our relationship with the Lord Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So rejoicing and the person of the Lord Jesus goes hand in hand in this thing of rejoicing in the church. Now, we've been talking mostly about patrine theology. That means uh, thoughts and things about theology, parameters, hermeneutics, as we would say in theology. Hermeneutics have been about what Peter perceived us to be, a royal priesthood. And we've preached about that. Peter gave, I believe it's eight speeches in the book of Acts, beginning on Acts uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and 4 when he preached his great sermon after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He did preach all of those, seven of those speeches were given to a Jewish audience. Only one was to a Gentile audience. Do you know what it was? It's in Acts chapter 8 when Peter was on the rooftop over at Joppa and some people knocked at the door after he'd just had a vision. He'd been praying, and God gave him a vision. Have you ever had God to show you something while you pray? I said, have you ever had God reveal something to you while you prayed? While he was praying, he had a vision, and uh, he saw uh, swine. He saw pork. And uh, he heard the Lord say, arise, kill, and eat. And he made an impossible statement, an oxymoron, as you would say. An impossible statement. What was his impossible statement? Not so, Lord. How in the same sentence can you call him Lord and refuse to do what he says? He's not Lord if you're refusing to do what he says. So that sentence is an impossible sentence. Not so, Lord. He said, I am a, a good Hebrew person and I don't eat pork meat. And God said, why is it that you call anything that I make unclean? And suddenly there was a knock at the door. Well, Peter had this kind of background. Can you, can you imagine uh, awaking out of that kind of a vision and someone's knocking on your door? Sometimes God works chronology. He does one thing on the back of another. Sometimes there's some space between what he does. Amen. It's very difficult living in that blank. 
It's very difficult trusting God and being faithful during the time between. All right? Oh, fortunately, there was a, an immediate thing happened. There was a knock. And God had conditioned Peter for the knock. So when the knock took place, he opened the door. Some of you would not have opened the door. You would have said, I'm going back to sleep. But he opened the door. There were some guys, messengers there, and said, we've just come from Cornelius' house. And said, he's a devout man. He's a man of prayer. Well, now, Brother Jerry, he was not a Jew. How did he know? And how was he devout? Somehow, he got word that God had sent his son Jesus. And somehow he got word that there is a God in heaven. And somehow he felt like being devout and worshiping and praying to God. And as he prayed to God, a devout person with no religious upbringing, just looking at the stars, the Bible said the heavens declare the glory of God, just looking at the earth, the Bible said he is the creator God. He just come to the faithful realization there is a God. And I ought to be worshiping that God. And as he was devout in his activity with God, God spoke to him and said, send to Joppa. There's a man named Peter there. Tell him that you want him to come down here to your house. And he will explain the way more perfectly. So Peter got his coat, and off he went down to Cornelius' house. And the Bible said, Acts 8, 44, while Peter spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them that heard the word. I love it when it happens like that. Have you ever been in a meeting when that happened? I said, have you ever been in a meeting where that happened? Whereas the Holy Ghost was anointing the message and the message was being preached and suddenly the Holy Ghost fell in that room where the Word was being preached. That's a wonderful thing. I love for it to happen. It happened here a couple of Sundays ago. It was such a powerful anointing here. The Holy Ghost just fell upon us as we preached the Word of God. I love it when that happens. And while Peter was preaching to them the gospel, which was so foreign to him and so foreign to the people that he was preaching to had nothing in common with them. In fact, the Bible said they had no dealings with one another. Hey, the Holy Ghost bridges chasms, doesn't it? The Holy Ghost steps across cultural boundaries. The Holy Ghost gets past the difficulties. The Holy Ghost opens up a way when you preach the word, God said that will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the purpose whereunto it's sent. As he preached the word, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. How do you know? Next verse said, For we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Holy Ghost-filled people don't only speak with other tongues. They also magnify God with their worship. They magnify God with their singing. They magnify God with their 
playing instruments. They magnify God by clapping their hands and worshiping. Rejoicing is very comely for saints of God. It's the right thing to do. Men ought always to praise and worship the Lord our God. Paul took up the preaching after Peter had finished in, in uh, the 8th chapter of Acts. And Paul preached nine sermons the rest of the way. So preaching is very prominent in, in the Acts of the Apostles. So Peter had this, patrine theology is, is like this. God made a covenant with Abraham that he was going to bless him. We're Abraham's children, and God has given us a temple in which we ought to worship. And God has given us all of this activity unto this point. But he said he realized it was just ritual. God did not send his son into the world to establish a ritual. God did not send his son to shed his blood and become the propitiation for our sin in order to find some kind of ceremony or some kind of ritual that we could participate in. When God's people gather together, they express themselves with spiritual worship. They rejoice in singing. They rejoice in worship. They rejoice. Spontaneity provides every one of the people in this building the opportunity to be a part of that move of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to get in, you can get in. If you want to sit back and gawk, you can sit back and gawk. But God said, I've got the door here, and I'm a-knocking, but if you don't open the door, if you don't open the door, I can't do anything for you if you won't open the door. If you won't cooperate and participate, I can't do anything for you. But you know what? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You see, those who love him and those who worship him, they find it easy to rejoice. They rejoice in the morning. They rejoice in the evening. They rejoice at bedtime. They rejoice at the breakfast table. They rejoice at the dinner table. They rejoice at all times. In fact, David said, his praise and my rejoicing will always be in my mouth. Being thankful to him and blessing his name. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to the strangers... The strangers. Oh, you mean I'm uh, a traveler in a strange land? You mean I'm an alien resident in this world? That's exactly what he's calling you, a stranger. Why is that? Because Jesus said you are not of the world. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. Because the world, the Bible said, loves its own. The Bible says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away with the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides forever and forever. So then there's this line of demarcation between strangers 
and people who are citizens of this world. You see, you've got to make up your mind. You've got to cast your lot. And you've got to decide whose allegiance that you have uh, attached yourself to. Those Hebrew children, they said, O king, we're not slow to answer you about this matter. You've told us that we've got to bow down and worship the image. But we don't have to go think about it. We don't have to ponder it or get some advice or Google it. We're not careful. We're not, we don't have to hesitate. It's something on the tip of our tongue. The Bible says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You've given us pagan names, but you haven't changed our heart. You've labeled us and called us something we're not. You've given us Babylonian names. We've got Hebrew names, and you wouldn't let us use our own name. You changed our name to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But said, just because you changed your our name and put a different label on us, that doesn't mean that we will submit and worship you. We have purposed in our hearts. We have purposed in our hearts. We've established it once and for all. We will worship the Lord our God and Him only will we serve. And we're not going to defile our bodies with the king's meat or the king's drink. We're strangers in this place. We don't belong here. But we're going home one day. We're going back to where we belong. The Hebrew children said 70 years the Lord said we'd be in this mess. But when that 70 is over, we're going back to where we belong because we're citizens of the heavenly. We're citizens of the Lord our God. We're strangers in Babylon. We're misplaced. We're dislocated. Here we have no continuing city, but we seek for one to come whose builder and maker is God. We're going home one day, strangers and pilgrims. We're on our way. We're traveling that way. Hallelujah. An apostle of Jesus to strangers. I see I'm not going to get very far in this message because my time's going to run out. The strangers that are scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, elect people, elect people according to the foreknowledge of God. You mean God foreknew that a little boy named Rankin, Irwin was going to be born to John and Beulah Irwin on June the 2nd, 1948 in Jasper, Tennessee. The foreknowledge of God knew all about me. In fact, to Jeremiah, he said, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I had a plan for your life. I determined that you would be, I ordained that you would be a prophet. So God has foreknowledge, and the Bible said, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predetermine. Predetermine. That when the gospel is preached to you, 
you'll receive the saving gospel of Jesus. Now, I am Armenian. That means I believe in universal blood atonement for everybody. I don't believe in predestination. I certainly don't believe in hyper-Calvinism. I believe that God's grace is sufficient for the sins of the whole world. I believe that Jesus died for every, uh, every son and daughter of Adam's race. I believe that his grace meets every requirement to touch everybody, and his blood washes the sin out of everybody's life. When Jesus said, whosoever will, he really meant, whosoever will, let him come. The prophet said, ho, to them that are athirst, come and drink of the fountain of the water of life freely. Hey, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. What God pre-foreknew he didn't say, I'm, I'm choosing what you're going to be, but I know what you're going to be because I know all things and I know the future. I have foreknowledge. I know about it before it ever happens. He knew about this service before I ever took the mic and walked to the pulpit. He knew that you were going to be sitting in the seat you're sitting in this morning because he has foreknowledge and he knows everything before it ever even happens. And because of his foreknowledge, he predetermined that Jesus would be the way of salvation and that whosoever believeth on him and receives him, that that person would be saved, saved from the awful tyranny of sin, saved from the awfulness of hell, saved from all those bondaging things. Saved and free from all of that. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, under obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Wow. What does sanctifying mean? What's that got to do with anything? Sanctify means to set apart. To set apart. Ecclesia means called out ones. When he talks about our being a, a stranger, he means that we just don't fit in this world. We just don't fit. You ever feel like you don't fit? When I was driving down the road today to come in here, I realized there are a lot more that be of them than be for us. I realized that the majority of our population doesn't go to church on Sunday. We're down to about 10% of the population right now. But if you ask the people who are Christians, how many are Christians? We've got about 75% of Americans that say they're Christian. But only 10% goes to church. So what we've got is a lot of dormant, sleeping folks. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe to them that sleep. Arise from sleep. Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. Oh, I wish that we could get everybody that says, I'm a Christian, to be a good one. I wish we could get everybody that says, I'm a Christian, to be salt and light. 
I wish that we could get everybody that names the name of Christ and says, I'm a Christian, would be a rejoicing, worshiping, kingdom of God supporting person of God. I wish. Because God has determined that we're to be a set apart. The Bible said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith God. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Next verse, seventh chapter, 2 Corinthians says this. Wherefore, having these promises, what promise? The promise, I'll walk in you, I'll dwell in you, I'll be your God, I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Same word as sanctify. Let us set ourselves apart. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, filthiness of the flesh. Now, some of you have lived good lives all your life. You don't know what filthiness of the flesh is. But some of you that God saved, he saved you from an awful situation. And you know what the filthiness of sin is. Sin and all of its consequences. Touch not the unclean thing. Touch not the, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. Wherefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Brother Jerry, I thought God did all the cleaning. His blood washes away every sin. Yes. But then you've got to be a vessel that can contain the blessing of God. And in order to retain the blessing of God in your temple, you see, this, this sermon that I preached last Sunday about lively stones, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and all the building is laid out according to who he is and what he does. He is also the head of the corner. He is the one who establishes right and wrong and establishes the way that is acceptable and what is unacceptable. What's outside the line and what's inside the line? The cornerstone establishes every bit of that. And that's the person of the Lord Jesus. And he said, to you also, you are lively stones that are built up a spiritual house. So then God has got a house now. It's not the temple that's in Jerusalem. It's not the temple that will be rebuilt during the tribulation period. But the temple that God has on earth is that lively stones that are built up a spiritual house. You are one of those lively stones that is in the building, the spiritual house that is built by God. Hallelujah. Why? So that he can dwell in the midst of his people. He said, I will walk in them, I will dwell in them, and I will be their God. God dwells in his house. Who is his house? Those ecclesia, those called out ones, those chosen ones, those foreknowledge ones, those, those ones that when the Holy Spirit pricked your heart and said, you need to get saved. 
when the Holy Spirit convicted and spoke to you and said, you're lost, you're going to hell, you need to turn around. When the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, you are filthy, you need to be washed. When the Holy Spirit said, you don't have to live in this bondage, you can be free, you can be... When the Holy Spirit, those lively stones that are built up a spiritual house, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Somebody say lively hope. A lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A lively hope. Wow, what a word that is, a lively hope. I'm glad that the hope I have is alive. I'm glad the hope that I have lives on and on, that that hope that I have is strengthened, it is encouraged, it is inspired, it is guided, it is cared for, it is blessed beyond measure, that hope that I have. How is it that hope plays a part in this, a living hope, begotten again? You were saved again unto a living hope by the resurrection of the dead. A living hope. That living hope is about being redeemed. Hebrews 6 and 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation. Consolation. People that don't win the big game get the consolation game. The beauty that didn't get to be queen gets the consolation prize. What is the consolation? It's feel better. It's a feel better thing. Uh, don't be overlooked and wasn't left out. You didn't get all you wanted, but here's your consolation. You can feel good about it. You mean there's some things in life that I may not get all I wanted, but God gave me enough that I should feel good about it? Well, I didn't get but a $50 raise. I was hoping for 100 Well, 50 is the consolation. The fact that you get something. You got a raise. And you accepted it as what God willed. And that's the consolation. We who have fled for refuge, two immutable things, impossible God, we might have a strong consolation. Not a weak one, but a strong one a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Anybody got hope today? Anybody have hope that we're not going under, we're going over? Anybody have hope that we're on our way to heaven and one day we're going home? Anybody have hope that in all things God is aware and God is with us and God is standing by us, that God cares for us, that God will take us through? Anybody have that hope? Is that a living hope that you have? Is that a consolation to know that my life may not be what I want it to be? 
And life may not give me everything I want it to give me, but I don't have to be satisfied by the things in this life because I know that one day God is going to do something for me that is so much greater, more high, more lofty than this. So what he's saying is don't get so down about things that don't go your way while you're a stranger. Because you're not going to be a stranger always. Not going to be a pilgrim always. One day you're going home, praise God. And I have hope that I'm going to get a brand new body. I have hope that I've got a brand new existence when Jesus comes. When the resurrection takes place and we receive our new body. And we're forever more with the Lord after we meet him in the air and shall never leave his presence ever again. Praise God. What a hope that is. Read that 18th verse now. That by two immutable things, impossible for God to lie, strong consolation, as a lay hold upon the hope set before. Verse 19. When you're shaky, and when you're wobbly, and you're not too good at standing up, which hope we have as an anchor, which hope, the living hope, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into that within the veil. In other words, there's something that is so secure beyond the veil. I can't see it. I've not been there. I said I've not been there. I can't go there. I'm just a fleshly human being right now. But I've got an anchor right here, and it's called hope. And that anchor is connected to the veil through which I cannot see. There's something that is holding me steady that I can't see, but I know it's there. There's something that I, I know, that I know, that I know in my knower that keeps me planted upon the solid rock Christ Jesus and it anchors me and secures me that no matter what storm may blow or what difficulty may come against me, I'll make it because I have hope. I have hope, and that's my anchor. Tell your neighbor, my anchor is hope. David said to his soul one time, you ever talk to your soul? He said, soul, soul. Why art thou so disquieted within me? Soul, why don't you have peace? Soul, why are you always in an angry mess? Soul, why are you always fretting so? Soul, why are you so discomforted? And then he told his soul what to do. Soul, why art thou so disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Brother, if you've been unstable, if you've had a hard time, Brother Jerry, I'd love to live for the Lord, but I just can't do it. Yes, you can. You just need to get the anchor. 
I said, you just need to get the anchor. You need to have that hope because that hope means more to you than that alluring thing that is seducing and enticing to pull you away from your anchor. Are you hearing this pastor preach? There are things out there in the world that are seductive and enticing, and they'll tug and pull at you, trying to move you off of your anchor. The devil is full of devices and schemes trying to get you off of that hope that you have. He's trying to get you so discouraged that with your mouth you'll make stupid, ridiculous remarks. What kind of remark is that? God don't love me. Don't, quit telling me God loves me. Oh, God won't do nothing for me. He does it for other people. He won't do it for me. That's somebody that the devil threw a curve and you swung and missed. And here you are sitting on the sidelines. You're actually mad because you struck out. And you got to blame it on somebody because it can't be me. So it's God. God failed me. God didn't do this for me. God didn't do that. What's happened is the enemy has found an open door that you left open. And when you left it open, he walked in it. And he started scattering those seeds in your life of doubt and worry and anxiety and frustration and blame placing. And next thing you know, you're sitting over in a corner. Well, I don't know what everybody's rejoicing about. What's she up a clapping her hands for? I wonder what, who, who she's trying to impress. Come on, somebody. The worst cynic you ever seen is a church cynic. And the worst finger pointer you'll ever find is church point fingers. Is that too tough? But if you realize the goal, if you can see the big picture, it's not him and it's not her and it's not him back there nor him over there or her over yonder. And if the devil can ever get your attention on everybody else to where you won't take care of me, then he's got you off of that, that anchor. He's got you to a place where you're shaky and wobbly. Oh, Brother Jolly used to testify, and bless his heart, he didn't have a tooth in his head. I would laugh at him. Say, he said, blessed be God, that old snake, he done wrestled me all over that rock, but he ain't ever got me off of that rock. If you can just get anchored, get anchored in what you know to be true, in what you know is true, the Bible said those things most commonly believed among us. Get, to, get, that, get a hold of that anchor. It's, it's linked to something up there. You can't see it now. You don't know it. It's, it's impossible for you to know what's beyond that veil. But there's something there that holds you steady when life gets tough, when life gets unbearable. And I want to tell you, you're not the only one that ever has suffered under that kind of oppression. You're not the only one that's made stupid statements when things were tough. One of my very closest friends, great preacher, pastors a great church. His son and his, her girlfriend got to fussing and fighting one night, 21 years old. He left in a mad furor got behind the wheel of that truck and was driving a breakneck speed, missed a curve, hit a tree, and killed him. 
when those troopers walked up to that pastor's door, knocked on that door, and said, I've got some bad news. Suddenly, that pastor, all the life just went out of him. I called. He said, Jerry, I don't think I could ever preach again. I don't think I'll get through this. I don't know how I can take it. Fortunately, through people praying and supporting and holding that ministry couple up, they're back in ministry doing great for God. But don't think you're the only one that ever got a tough blow. But if you got your feet anchored, you're solid in who you are in Jesus, and you know that you know that you know that God is in charge and God is in control and God takes care of things. One of the toughest things in my entire life, I saw that couple, Debbie showed me their picture on Facebook, Gary and Pam Smithy. I was their pastor. And on a Tuesday night before Christmas Day, I was in Children's Hospital with them in Birmingham when their little boy succumbed to leukemia and died, six years old. I was so hurt by that. I, I said, I took him in my arms and I said, I, I wish I could do something. I wish I could tell you something. And Gary Smithy looked at me and he says, said these words. Pastor, do you remember the morning we dedicated little Robert? And I said, yes. He said, do you remember what you said? You said, the longest day this child lives, it shall be lent unto the Lord. He said, when you said those words and we repeated them, I meant what I said. And he said, the Lord had him for as long as he needed him, and then he took him home. And God has fixed it so that I can go and see little Robert again. As I drove down that Interstate 65 back to Montgomery on a Christmas Eve night, I said, God, I don't really know if I could do that because my son is the same age as little Robert. Now, remember when we walked out of the room and turned the light out that night in his room? They dressed him to go to the mortuary. He had a little Smurf cap, and Gary walked over and put his cap on him. Sometimes life can just be so tough. But if you don't have an anchor, I don't know how in the world you make it. But because of that anchor, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I commit to him against that day. Yes, I'm a stranger. Those songs says I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm a sojourner. Yes, I'm a stranger. But I'm not going to hang my harp up. And I'm not going to refuse to sing the Lord's song. I'm not going to lose my 
song. I'm not going to lose my strength. I'm not going to lose my hope because that hope that I have is an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, which enters into that beyond the veil. That lets us know that we're chosen by God, sanctified and set apart. Not only are we chosen by God, we're called by God. First Timothy says we have a holy calling. We were saved because of a holy calling. Not only are we chosen and called, we're cleansed by God because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us Amen. from all sin. Peter tells us that the product of all the work of God is a lively hope. And I, I want to pastor a church that has a lively hope. I want people sitting in those chairs that have a lively hope. And if you don't have a lively hope, I want to help you get a lively hope. I want to help you get to that place. That living hope is sure and certain and real as opposed to what the world offers, deceptive, empty, and false hope. I hate false hope. I hate to, somebody try to lift me up over something I know ain't true. Not only do we have a, a lively hope, but we have a lasting inheritance. Do you know tonight or today that you're a child of God? You're a child of God, and you have an inheritance. An inheritance, let's read that a little bit further there in 1 Peter number verse 4. To an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You have an inheritance in heaven reserved for you. I thought I'd get somebody in the aisle buck dancing over that. I guarantee you if I came in here, you've got an unknown benefactor you didn't know about, and you're an inheritance. You, you've got an inheritance coming. I think it's somewhere around four or $500,000. You're kidding me? Wow! How good is that? Well, I'm telling you about an inheritance that you've got that is far greater than four or five hundred thousand dollars. And I think you ought to shout about it. I think you ought to rejoice about it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise your name, Lord, for remembering me in your will. A child of God. Now, inheritance is usually left to somebody that has died, to somebody that's still living. But in our case, the one who gave us the inheritance is not dead. He was dead. But he's not dead anymore when he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos the Bible said John saw him his hair was white like wool about his paps was a golden girdle had a priestly robe on down to his feet his feet were as fine brass burnt in the furnace and he said when I saw him I fell like a dead man I fell out in the spirit somebody ever ask you where that's at in the Bible Right there's where that's at. When I saw him, when I beheld his glory, when I saw his majesty, when I saw and realized his sovereignty, 
I just collapsed in his presence. And he came over to me and he laid his hand upon my head and he said to me, weep not because the lion of the tribe of Judah has taken the book, loosed the seals, and this Jesus who loosed the seals said this, I'm alive, I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. I was dead. Yes, you've got an inheritance coming, but I'm not dead anymore. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forever, and I got the keys. And I've got the keys. Now, every Easter Sunday morning I've preached, since I've been here, I've carried the keys out here. I've jingled them around. I've shouted with them on my wrist because he's got the keys. What's that key to, Pastor? Death, hell, and the grave. And he has defeated all three. Amen. The resurrection and the life, he says. And if you'll just believe in what I have done, died on the cross, rose, and ascended on high, if you'll just anchor yourself into that, then you can have hope that will withstand troubles of life and you can rejoice Amen. in difficulty. I'll leave that Easter message for Easter about the keys, but I want to tell you something. Hell has a feet fit when Jesus rattles the keys. Hell trembles when Jesus rattles the keys because the devil knows who's got the keys. You know where he got them? He took them away from him. Adam gave them to him. I said Adam gave them to him. As in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I'm going to tell you, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. In all the world around me, I see his love and cheer. And just the time I need him, he is always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. An inheritance, you've got an inheritance in heaven Listen to what he says. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. In other words, nothing's going to happen to it. It's not going to ruin. It's not going to spoil. Thieves aren't going to steal it. An inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, and it's kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me let Paul close this thing for us in Romans 8. I think it's verse 17, 18, long in there. He says, for I reckon. Have you ever reckoned? God said uh, to everybody, come near and let us reckon together. Let us reason together. He said, let us reckon. Reckon is a good old southern term. And I reckon. I reckon so. I used to have an old fellow in church, Michael, he never did say amen to my preaching. He'd always say, I reckon so. That was his amen. I reckon so. Every time I'd come out with a good gospel to I reckon so. His name was Benjamin. Benjamin Marcus. 
And every time he liked something, you said, I reckon so. As he walked out the door, I'll say, are you having a good day, Benjamin? I reckon so. He was just hung up on I reckon so. Paul said, I reckon I've had to come by this knowledge by experience, he says. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, while I'm a stranger, while I'm a pilgrim, and don't have my inheritance yet, don't have my body yet, I'm still a stranger. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be mentioned compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Wow. Stan, you're right. That's right. That's, that deserves a clap. You mean what I'm going through is not worthy to talk to somebody about, tell them how sad I am, how bad they are? No, it's not worthy. It ain't worth the air that it takes to push through your lips and form those words. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, God's got a home that's so much better. I'm going to go there sooner or later. I don't want to get adjusted to this world. This world is not my home. I may leave most any time. I've got stranger mentality, hadn't you? I'm not putting down any roots here. My home is up there somewhere beyond the blue. I've heard about heaven, and I want to go there. Walking golden stairs, having no more cares. I've heard about cloudless skies and about no goodbyes. I've heard about all that wonderful singing over there. I've heard about walking golden stairs and about having no more cares. I've heard about heaven and I want to go there. Do you want to go? I said, do you want to go? Do you want to go? Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On those streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. What a great thing God has for us in heaven. Stand with me, please. Well, I got to about one-fourth of that, but I'll save it for next Sunday. We just got our inheritance. There's some good things Elsewhere in that scripture we're going to talk about starting off with being kept by the power of God. Are you saved today? Are you saved? Do you know that you are? I'm saved and I know that I am. Are you saved to know that you am? Well, if I didn't know that before I left here today, I'd make sure when I leave here I'd know. Because it's important that you know. It's important that you're standing on that rock and got that hope and got that anchor. That's very, very serious stuff. The Apostle Paul said, among sinners I was chief. But he said, the one that's standing here before you today 
I'm standing here by the mercy and the grace of God. And he said, among sinners, I, I was chief. But said, he saved me, cleansed me, washed me in his blood. And he closed that chapter with these words. And I'm going to close our service with these words. And now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor and power and dominion forever and ever. Amen.